Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. He wanted to build a temple for God. It would be his way of honoring the Almighty. But God said no. Why? Dr. Jennings joins us today via Skype to talk about King David and the temple that God wouldn't let him build. Dr. Jennings, fill us in. You know, this is such an interesting point because many people have often wondered, David is a man after God's own heart, the yes, Bible says. Yes, yes, And David was passionate and went, wanted to, to build a temple, and he asked the prophet Nathan, and he got initial permission, but then turned around, Nathan comes back and says, no, God says, and you can find it in First Chronicles 22.8, that you've shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Yet... God is the one who helped him do almost all of it. Nobody believes David defeated Goliath on his own, that God was helping him in that activity. So many people are confused. How is it that God helps David do all this stuff to help build the kingdom of Israel, yet tells David, because you did all this stuff, you can't build a house for my name? And the problem is really understanding might and power versus God's kingdom. And this is what we need to understand what's happening. That sin is, a, is this state of being out of harmony with God that drives us with fear and selfishness, and that it is a condition that we've inherited, as the psalmist said, we've inherited from Adam, born in sin, conceived in iniquity. Right. And God's plan of salvation is to heal us from this condition, give us new hearts and right spirit, so forth. Okay, this is God's kingdom. Yes. God could use might and power to destroy everybody with sin in an instant if that's what he wanted to do. Satan, angels, human beings, he could just wipe us out instantly. But what God actually wants from us is he wants our love. He wants our trust. He wants our our friendship. He wants our loyalty. And you can never get that by using might and power to kill people who don't love and trust you. And, And so where I'm going with this is David was using might and power to restrain the forces in his environment that wanted to destroy God's people. God's people are serving as the avenue through whom Messiah was going to come. And Satan is stirring up all the enemies of God, and David is a man who can use might and power righteously to restrain. Now let's give some examples of where we can use might and power. A parent can physically use might to restrain a child from running into the street. But a parent cannot use might to force a child to love them. Hmm. Hmm. A psychiatrist can use physical might to restrain a psychotic patient from harming themselves. But a psychiatrist cannot use might to force a patient to trust them. A municipality can use physical might to restrain muggers and thieves by locking them in prison. But they cannot use physical might to force criminals to become honest people. A nation can use physical might to restrain an invading army, but they cannot use physical might to force their enemies to be their friends. Are we seeing the limitations of physical might? I am, and I am seeing parallels all over the place here with what's happening in our government now and what's happened in our government in the past. We have tried both of those things, and you're saying that one works better than the other, or one actually works and the other one doesn't work. Physical might can only be used 
to restrain. Right, right, right. To restrain evil, restrain actions that harm. We can use might to restrain. We can never use physical might, the rule of law, the power of the state to promote righteousness. And so the plan of salvation is not simply restraining evil. God, through human history, has been sending his angels to hold back the winds of strife, the principalities and powers of darkness, putting hedge of protection on. So he has been restraining evil, but restraining the person's intent on on perpetrating evil is not the same thing as restoring righteousness. And the plan of salvation is to give us new hearts and right spirits, or other metaphors, circumcision of the heart by the spirit, or write the law in the heart and mind, or give us a new life being reborn, or having the mind or character of Christ, or having the heart of stone taken out and the heart of flesh, or turning enemies to friends. Notice all the metaphors of scripture are not about merely using power to hold the evil in check, It's actually taking people who have evil in their heart and changing their hearts where they no longer have evil in it. They become loving, loyal, faithful people that can never be achieved by imposition of rule or coercion or threat or the use of might and power. That's why the Bible says, not by might nor Uh, by power, but by the way the Spirit works as the Lord. Now, you had a question. Yeah, let's take that back to the King David. Make that connection here. What was King David doing that God says, no, you don't understand what I'm trying to accomplish in this world? So once we understand the, the limitations of power, then we have to look at the plan of salvation. And where in Old Testament is the plan of salvation, is the central learning lesson right, key right, element yeah, to the plan yeah, of salvation? It's yeah. the temple. The temple is the place of reconciliation. The uh, temple is the place of salvation. The temple is the place that acts out theatrically God's plan to take sinners alienated from him and bring them into at one meant, also known as atonement or unity or reconciliation with God. Okay, well, David can hold in check by the use of might and power the Philistines and the other enemies of God. He can hold them back. But if David now builds the temple after using those methods, it could, within the theater of the sanctuary system, send the idea that God can actually heal hearts by using might and power and killing his enemies. He cannot. Only through the methods of God, truth, presented in love, leaving people free, and thus the sanctuary service acts out a Messiah coming who is a lamb. The Messiah was not a leopard or a bear. Okay, the Messiah was a lamb. And so then what's said to David in the very same passage where he said, you can't do this because you're a man of blood, because you have used these methods of coercion and force, the prophet goes on to say, from God, but you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I will give him rest from his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. So the name of God represents his character, and only a man of peace can actually represent the character of God, who is the God of love. So David, having been used by God to use the methods of force or coercion to restrain evil, cannot rightly represent the character of God, 
which is the character of love, which can never be achieved by the use of might and power. That's why David couldn't build the temple. So this temple had to represent a whole lot more than what David had shown the world about God, you're saying. This is exactly right. The temple was not merely to represent, and it was to represent God's name, where his character would be, but it's representing the entire plan of salvation. And you can even go on to say it represents Jesus. Because when Jesus came, he said, you will destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. And Jesus is the cornerstone rejected by the builders who becomes the chief cornerstone. And know ye not that ye are a temple of God built together for the house of the Lord? And thus this physical structure built in Israel was merely an object lesson, a little theater to display and act out the larger reality that was going to be achieved in Jesus Christ. What does that tell us then about today when we want to raise up a church? We want to be a church body for God. What is the lesson that we need to take from that? This is a great point you're raising because historically, if you look at these two different methodologies, the methodology of the sinful world using power and force to coerce, this is the highest form of order and governance sinful beings can create. We call law and order. And we will pass laws, whether they're elected officials, whether it's divine right of kings, it doesn't really matter. We pass laws and then we enforce those laws with threats of punishment to coerce people to conform. And citizens in those organizations, societies will surrender individual rights for the illusion of their safety and security. And I say it's an illusion because in every earthly government, these rules are arbitrarily made up and arbitrarily enforced. And at any time the people in power decide to break their own rules, they break their own rules, whether it's in America, where they intern the Japanese during World War II, or in communist societies, or in uh, Nazi Germany, or any history, those rules don't give real safety. They give the illusion of safety, and the majority cooperate with this to have this sense of security. But understanding the force of law and coercion only can righteously hold back those intent on doing harm. It can never bring people to love you or be friends with you. We can never achieve God's cause using Satan's methods. And the big trap of Satan is religious imperialism. It is the merging of church and state. It is the idea that we can achieve God's cause by getting hold of state governments, passing the right laws, as long as they're the righteous laws, the laws that protect life or the laws that protect the sanctity of marriage or whatever it is. We can then ultimately achieve the utopia on earth and achieve God's cause by controlling the state. That was the dark ages where Mm. the church controlled the state. Yes. This is always abusive, and it ultimately destroys character and incites rebellion. God's kingdom is not of this world. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, and it does not operate on these methods. So no, it is a a very, very powerful trap of the devil that God did not want people to— believe you could do. So David cannot build the temple because you cannot achieve my kingdom by using the methods of power over other people. You can only achieve my kingdom by using the power of peace, the power of love, the power of truth, where you win hearts to friendship and loyalty. So to a world filled with people who have been accosted by religion, accosted by the devil's methods, accosted by this, you have to, and I'm going to judge you, and I'm going to rule over you, and I'm going to force you. Along comes people who love Jesus 
and want to share that love and that salvation and that non-judgmental attitude. That's our job as individuals. That should be our job as churches. Am I right? That's right. We love people and bring them to Jesus for a new heart and right spirit to free them from fear, to free them from selfishness, to free them from guilt, to free them from shame, where they come to live a life of peace and joy in harmony with God's design. And ultimately, this world of sin is going to be erased and this imperialistic idea of law over and punishment inflicted goes away because we, we are all restored to God's original idea where we are all trustworthy friends of each other. Oh my, we have an opportunity to be the Solomon to the world, not necessarily the David to the world. David had some good things, of course, and God blessed him in certain ways. But to represent the character of God, we have to illustrate and reflect the character of Jesus. Am I right in saying that? That is correct. And you'll never see Jesus, not once, use power over others. Hmm. Listener, if you would like to hear more about this topic and many, many others, I recommend a website for you, comeandreason.com. Dr. Jennings has made available many, many resources, including this podcast for you to listen to and share with friends and family. Also, his books are there. Could it be this simple? The God-shaped brain, the God-shaped heart, the aging brain. Whoa, getting kind of close to home there. The aging brain. That's what we need to know. We need to know how to protect our brain, how to protect our hearts, how to protect our lives so that we can be the Solomons that the world needs and we can bring that ministry of peace to the world. Am I right, Dr. Jennings, in saying that? That's exactly right. Applying God's methods always brings healing. Comeandreason.com is the website. Dr. Jennings, thank you so much for sharing with us and giving us some hope for these end days. Appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Together.